All right, so we have uh, been on a journey over the last several weeks looking at the mission of God and looking at the mission that we have as the people of God. And we have been looking through at, at what it means for us to be as, as disciples, followers of Jesus, uh, what it means for us to be on mission. We have, have looked at how, as disciples of Jesus, we are a covenant people. We're, we're a covenant people who gain our identity from the Father. That we are who we are because He invites us into a relationship with Him. Uh, we recognize that we are kingdom people uh, because we are empowered by the King. He, he gives us authority to work in His kingdom. And he gives us the opportunity to work in his kingdom. And he empowers us to be able to do that. We also realize that we're a gospel people. That as gospel people, we are redeemed by the work of Jesus. And we're also a called people. A called people who are, are compelled to follow Jesus. And so as people who are called to follow Jesus, there are, are four things that we talked about last week that we see as examples of what called people do. Uh, called people who, who follow Jesus, one, they realize that it's not about them. That as a disciple of Jesus, as one who follows Jesus, it is not about my own wants and desires. It's not about my comforts. It's not about what I want. I have to realize that it's not about me. It's about the one I follow. Number two, we recognize that Jesus is who he says he is. We looked at John chapter one last week and, and how they recognized who Jesus was. John the Baptist said, look, the Lamb of God. And so we recognize who Jesus is and we recognize that he is who he says he is. He is the Son of God. He is the Messiah. He is the Christ. And so number three, because of that, we respond and follow him. It requires an action to happen. It requires us to change something, that we have to go and follow him. And then because we follow him, number four, we reproduce ourselves, or we reproduce and bring others to him. And so we saw in the story going and finding the other brothers and saying, look, we found him. We found the Messiah. Come and follow him. And so we look at this as a pattern of discipleship, of what it means to be on mission for God. And, and being a disciple of Jesus is, is not a one-time decision. It's not something that you simply do once and everything else falls into place. It's something that we have as a way of being. It's an ongoing behavior. It's an ongoing pattern for us. And so we evaluate ourselves as followers of Jesus by, by looking at the different dimensions that, that Jesus had in his life, and, and we, we look at those dimensions in our own life. Jesus had this up relationship with his Father. He had an in relationship with the other disciples. He had an out relationship where he was on mission, on focus to those who did not yet know him. And so it is these three components of up, in, and out that we use to, to evaluate ourselves as ones who are on mission, are, in, are disciples of Jesus. We're a called people. We're called into this relationship, and we are compelled to follow Jesus. And because of that, we're also a sent people, going and making disciples. 
We're all called to be missionaries. We're all called to participate in this story of God, in this mission of God. As disciples of Jesus, we're sent to be on mission, which means that we're all missionaries in our own context. We all have a job to do. Missionaries introduce people to Jesus. And they're part of their journey in becoming like Jesus. And they teach people to repeat that process. That is disciple-making. And so as we've talked about in previous weeks, the mission of God is not someone else somewhere else. The mission of God is totally different. So the mission of God is not uh, us Uh, us sending someone else somewhere else. We talked the very first week about this difference between how we've defined the word mission and and how for oftentimes in in the past we think of missions as something that's in Africa, something that's somewhere else. But the reality is the mission of God is everywhere that Christians are. And so we are a part of that mission of God. Discipleship is not uh, just a class, it's not a program, it's, it's not just something that uh, we attend on Sunday morning. This is a great assembly, but this is not the limit of what it means to be a disciple. Discipleship is intentional in relationships, focusing ourselves and others on becoming like the one we follow. We have relationships with others to help one another grow to be more like Jesus. And so too often we have this narrowed view of discipleship that, that includes buildings and gathering in on Sunday and, and these programs, but, but it's not just what happens here within the brick walls of this building. It's so much more than what happens on, on Sunday morning in this place. Discipleship goes beyond a building. It goes beyond programs. We're sent to go, not sit here and wait. And so now there is nothing wrong with the programs and buildings. Those are the tools that we can use to help us in this. But those are just structures and they're just programs that, that can draw us away from the command to make disciples. When, when the building becomes the focus, when the programs become the focus, we need to revisit and rethink what it means to be church and what it means to be followers of Jesus who are on mission. Jesus gives some very specific instructions to his disciples before he ascends to heaven. He says this in Matthew chapter 28, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And so Jesus is saying, I am king, I have the authority, I am over all things, and I'm sending you, I'm sending you into a place to go and make disciples, teach them what I taught you, go and duplicate that in others, and I'm going to be with you in the process. I'm not going to leave you alone, I'm not going to let you fend for yourself, I'm going to be there with you. And so as a church, we're taking this command to make disciples very seriously. This is, this is our defining statement of who we are as a church. It's at the, the top of your card here. We've gone through this before. The Montgomery Church of Christ will be disciples of Jesus Christ who make disciples. And this will result in transformed lives and transformed culture 
starting in the local community and spreading throughout the nations. That's what we're about. That's who we are. And so we're going to be about making disciples of Jesus who love God and who love others. And that is our, our driving passion and our driving concern as a church. And all other things fall into place underneath that. It will focus how we in, it will influence how we teach, how we preach, how we program, how we prioritize, what our buildings look like, what our staff looks like, what our ministries look like. All of that will be impacted by this statement, this call from Jesus to say, go and make disciples. We'll use this question to evaluate everything. Is this helping us make disciples? And if not, we need to revisit and do something different. And so being sent to go is just as much your mission as it is the mission of the larger church. It's your mission. It's not just my mission. It's not just the elder's mission. It's not the church as a whole's mission. It's every single one of us. As, as followers of Jesus, we are sent into this mission as well. We participate in this, and we engage in this, and we are called into this. And so we rally together, and we join together, encouraging one another, and equipping one another, and lifting one another up to be a part of this mission of God. And so being sent to go is for all of us. In 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here, all this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us, gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So because we're new creations, because we are made new by the work of Jesus, we are given a gift of ministry. We have a ministry that's given to us, and it's a gift. It's not a burden. It's a gift given to us. It's a ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. But he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We're therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. The message of recon and he has committed to us the message of recon reconciliation. We're therefore Christ's ambassadors. That word ambassadors. We're given the authority of the king. He gives us the authority to, to work on his behalf because we're his ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And so because of Jesus, we are our new creations, and, and we as, as new creations are given a ministry, we're given a mission, and we join in with God into the mission of reconciling the world to himself. What an incredible job we are given as his followers. As disciples, we're continually transformed and we're continually shaped by Christ and it's not just an individualistic pursuit, which our culture is so good at telling us it is. It's not just about me making sure that I'm a good Christian guy. 
It's not this individualistic pursuit. We are sent to help others be reconciled to God and transformed just like we're being transformed. And so we're pointing people to Jesus. Not because we're perfect, not because we have it all figured out. We point people to Jesus, not to ourselves. I think often we can get, get hung up on, well, I'm not qualified, I'm not good enough, I'm not far enough along in my journey to be able to lead other people to Jesus. And the thing is, you're not pointing other people to your perfection, you're pointing them to his perfection. And so it does not matter where you are at in your journey, you can still point people to Jesus. Because he's the perfect one. We're pointing people to Jesus. And others learn who Jesus is by seeing his followers and imitating them. They see how we interact with one another. They see how we interact with the world. They witness those things. And so discipleship is not just about us passing on information or curriculum or memory verses. It's not just about us teaching the right class. Discipleship happens when people watch who we are and see a difference in our lives and begin to imitate who we are in pursuit of Jesus. Paul says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. And so if I am following the example of Christ, then you can follow my example. And it will lead you toward Christ. And as as we become more like Christ, we set an example for others. We look for others to follow ahead of us. And we work to help those who are behind us stay on track. We talked last week about, except for one person in this room, there is someone older and there's someone younger than you. And there is someone that you can lead in the process of becoming more like Jesus. Who is a step behind you that you can lead into becoming more like Jesus? And who is a step ahead of you that you can look to to follow to become more like Jesus? We need to be working at being disciples that are worth imitating. And that's on us about who we are and what we're becoming. It doesn't mean that we're perfect. It doesn't mean that we have fully arrived, but is one step ahead of someone that we're leading. I've heard it said this way, God first wants to do in us what he wants to do through us. God first wants to do in us what he wants to do through us. And so he is at work at transforming us so that he can work through us in transforming others. And so what are we doing to be like Jesus? What are we doing in our own discipleship process and so hopefully each of you have one of these cards i'm going to check in any any luck with slides no did i send you the old file can you go grab my computer off of my desk please all right I just want you to see the pictures of the orange carpet. (laughs) If it weren't for the pictures, I would just say, forget it. (laughs) All right, so each of you have one of these cards, and it it describes who we are as disciples. And, And as disciples, what does it look like? What does it look like to be people who follow Jesus? To be people who follow Jesus, it means love God 
and love others. It's as simple as that. Jesus says this is the greatest commandment. You love God with everything that you have. And this is the up component of our relationship with God. And love others. Not the people that we like. Love others, which means all others. Not the people who look like us. Not the people who act like us, but love others. And this, this provides both that in component and the out component because we have to love each other because when people come into our midst, and I've heard stories of people coming into our midst in the past where we did not love each other, and that does not show Jesus. And thankfully, that's an old story and not a recent story. Because now the story is, I come into your midst and people love each other. Someone asked me last week for, for tangible things that say, okay, when someone comes into our midst, how do they encounter Jesus? Give me something like actionable that I can do. You can love each other. Because people will see Jesus in our love for one another. And so, so we say, love God, love others. That's the command that Jesus gives us. And you can see there on the back of the card a list of verses that you can go. Spend time dwelling on these verses. Spend time memorizing these verses because this drives who we are as followers of Jesus. Because as ones who love God, we are people who worship we're people who have lives of worship. It's not just about what's on Sunday morning. We live lives of worship holy and pleasing to God. We devote ourselves to spiritual growth and to disciplines. We live sacrificially, giving of time, talent, and treasure. To love others is a very broad thing. To love others is, is to, to love one another unconditionally. And that's a challenge right there, Right? It's hard enough to love people we like. So love one another unconditionally. Lift up and care for the unchurched and the marginalized. This is the out component. We need to be a sanctuary of grace and forgiveness. When people come into this place, do they feel judged or do they feel grace and forgiveness? We need to work at strengthening and healing and uniting families. Our families are under attack. And we have to be a place that builds families up and brings healing and strength. We have to intentionally engage those that are beyond our church walls and beyond our national borders. We have to live to reflect the grace, the mercy, and truth of Jesus Christ. We have to speak the truth of God in love to individuals, families, and to culture. And so that is what it means to be a disciple making disciples of Jesus Christ who love God and love others. And this is your mission. This is my mission. This is our mission. We're all working within our giftings, within our time and our treasure and our talents to be able to do these things. What are the things that you have to give to this mission? What time, what treasure, what talent do you have to go toward making disciples of Jesus Christ who love God and love others. And hallelujah, I've got the thumbs up just in time for the orange carpet. All right. Oh. Okay. We are on a roll today.
So this is a, this is a church that we, we've been meeting in this room for 50 years now. It's a church that has a history that goes long before that. And so I think spending some time reflecting on that history that many of you have participated in and know much better than me, uh, it, it, is, it is interesting to be able to, to spend some time reminiscing on that and looking at that because it's a church that has been on mission, a church that has been at its very core and its very roots about making disciples. It is not a perfect history as, as those of us who have been around for a while well know. But it is a history that is deeply rooted in the great commission of going and making disciples. It's a history that in many ways starts in 1914, when Albuquerque is a small and growing town that is mostly centered around that downtown area, and this entire area of the Northeast Heights was nothing but high desert. Nothing was here, and Reuben Talley and his wife Maybell moved to Albuquerque. And they started a Bible study in their home and, and began teaching people and discipling people and baptizing people. And in 1918, George Mickey held a gospel meeting in a tent on Forrester Avenue in Lomas. I don't even know where that is. And is, is Forrester still there? Okay, good. Forrester's still there. Um, and so 15 people were baptized during that meeting and the church continued to grow and it continued to grow, and they built a building in 1922 on Forrester Avenue. And that became the first building of the Church of Christ here in Albuquerque. It later became the Fifth and Marble Congregation, if you can find that first picture. Oh, I got the thumbs up. It was just a tease. Okay. <laughs> Thanks. All right. So the, it later became the Fifth and Marble Congregation, which was built in 1935. And so it was on the intersection of Fifth and Marble, as you can imagine. So this Fifth and Marble Congregation, my great-grandparents went there. And Laura's great-grandparents went there, oddly enough. We found this out after we got married. How many of you went to the Fifth and Marble Congregation? Stand up, please. Good job. You guys are old. No, just kidding. All right, you can go ahead and sit down. So this, this Fifth and Marble congregation that was established in 1935 had a vision for launching other churches around the city. And now, remember, 1935, Albuquerque is still pretty small. There's still not a lot of development. And so in the 50s, this congregation, the, the Fifth and Marble congregation, uh, Albuquerque was growing rapidly in this post-war building boom. And, and in this, um, the Fifth and Marble congregation had a successful oil man, Ike Talley, and he developed this vision to plant new churches in all of the new neighborhoods that were popping up throughout Albuquerque. And as soon as there was a sufficient number of houses that were being built in a, a subdivision, they would buy a lot, they would construct a building, they would hire an evangelist, and a new congregation would be established. And so most of the congregations that are in the northeast part of Albuquerque all came from this story. The Netherwood Congregation, the University Congregation, the Mountainside Congregation, and the Montgomery Congregation are all part of this. Thank you. Hallelujah. All right. That is not fifth and marble, though. So go back one. 
There. So this is the fifth immarble congregation that had the vision for, for this. They bought this piece of property on the furthest northern tip of Albuquerque on San Pedro, this tiny little lot, and built this next building here. This next building here. It's that building. <laughs> so they, they built this building on San Pedro, which this building is still there, and it's south of Montgomery. Okay, this was the furthest north you could get in town. It was out in the middle of nowhere, and this was, this was north San Pedro, north Albuquerque, um, and out in the middle of nowhere. And so they built, the, they built this congregation. They hired a young new preacher named Harvey Porter, and he came in as, as the, the first and founding minister of, of the San Pedro congregation. And, and this is really where we start day one of the history of this congregation. That's why there's arguments about whether or not this is our 50th anniversary or we've already done our 50th anniversary and because of where the starting point is. Because this is really the start of this congregation at San Pedro. And they, they met in this, in, in this building in, on San Pedro, quickly outgrew it. And in 1964, Bill Williams and Chalky Huff were driving east on this two-lane gravel road uh, that would later become Montgomery Boulevard. And they saw a sign out in the middle of nowhere for three and a half acres that was being sold. And they decided, hey, we should buy it. And they had this vision uh, that this would be the perfect place for a new, larger church building. And so they personally purchased this property so that the San Pedro members could have a roomier facility. And the members caught on to that vision. They, they built a new church building at this location, sold the other building, all like on the same weekend, it seems like. Uh, like they, they closed on the property when they moved into this property, like the same weekend. And so they built this next building that you should recognize. And so this is the Montgomery building, phase one. Um, th show this next picture, because this shows... Uh, how, re I mean, out in the middle of nowhere. And so, out in the middle of nowhere, nothing out here. And so, the vision of this group of leaders was incredible. To say, we're going to go build a building twice as big as what we really need. Because this auditorium, all of you who are in those back, back rows, those were all classrooms, there were walls there. Those were all classrooms. So this was a 500-seat auditorium, twice as big as what they could ever imagine needing. And that's what they moved into on November 21st, 1965. And so over the years, additional property was purchased around the building. There were three expansion projects in 1972 for more classrooms, in 77 for office and the basement classrooms. We do have a basement for some of you who don't know. And... Um, New people are always surprised when I say that. Um, and in 1988, they finished the multi-purpose edition on the back for a total of 66,000 square feet on over 10 acres of land. And that's the property we sit on today. So today, the Montgomery Church of Christ is the beneficiary of decades of vision by Christian men and women who, with God's direction, created a facility that serves this neighborhood and serves this community in more ways that can ever even be imagined. Could they even imagine what Albuquerque would look like today when they built this out in the middle of nowhere? And so here we are 50 years later benefiting from their great vision and their sacrifice over the years. 
And so inside your bulletin is the first bulletin from this location. We have all 60 years, if you would like them, in the library, ready for you. But I want to draw your attention to the article that's written by Harvey inside of here. Uh, as, as they were getting ready, so this was, this was mailed out, and the, there's the orange carpets. We made it to the orange carpet. So this is the first Sunday in this room, and it's been renovated since, as many of you know. But this is the first Sunday in this room, and this is, this is what Harvey had to say about this building that I think is important for us today. If we're not careful in our thinking, we may get the idea that our new, new building is going to do a lot of the Lord's work for us. It is true that it will afford us a comfortable place in which to meet. It will probably be considered a credit from the standpoint of looks to the community in which it has been placed. And it should be a reminder to those who pass by it day by day that this is the house of worship for the people of God. Nevertheless, the real work to which all of us have been called cannot be accomplished by a pretty building alone. The great work of evangelizing will still be done by all of us. We must tell our friends about Jesus. We must invite them to our services. We must study with them privately and publicly. This will afford us a comfortable place that will aid us in carrying out the work of teaching and preaching. We ought to use the facilities day and night. How wonderful it would be if we could have classes of some sort teaching the Bible every day of the week there. Our buildings are not used, though. This is where he gets it wrong. We hardly ever wear one out. We're now enabled to grow. If our growth has been, has been curtailed because of cramped facilities, it can now go forward. We will have plenty of room. The auditorium will easily sit six, seat 600 people with chairs added. The classrooms will take care of the many students. That means that we can double our present attendance. We want more and more to come to, and study the word with us. Well, here is the opportunity we have been waiting for. We must now get busy and invite and bring others. The fact that the building is here will not automatically cause people to come. Only you and I can do that. This building will not promote love and unity. Again, only you and I can do that. This place can remind us of good times in the Lord's work. It can be a source of happiness and love and peace if we want it to be. You and I can... You and I have made San Pedro such a place. It is up to us to do the same in these new four walls. We're the real house of God. We make it or break it. Now let's go into this new home with our sleeves rolled up to work for the Lord. And so what uh, incredible words 50 years ago to define for a congregation what the building is and more importantly what the building is not. That this building will not solve the problem. The people in the building are what is most important. And so we have been spending the last several weeks talking about the mission of God and is so perfectly summarized there by the words of Harvey Porter. 
that it is on each and every one of us to be on mission for God. And so it is not about the building. It is not about what happens in this room a couple hours a week. Each and every one of us are called to be missionaries going out of this place and into the world. But one of our biggest resources, one of our biggest investments is the building itself. It can be a great tool or it can be a drain. And our buildings should be serving the mission, not distracting from the mission. Our buildings should be helping us, not hurting us. Buildings are a tool, a means to an end, but not the goal in and of themselves. And so here's an image of our current property as it stands now. Our current property is roughly 10 acres with 66,000 square feet of church building space, two houses, a playground, and 441 parking spots. And so with insurance, utilities, maintenance, and upkeep, the building costs us roughly $580 a day. If you look at current architectural uh, standards of what, it means, uh, of what churches who are building new buildings look like, Lifeway uh, has an architecture firm that gives some rules of thumb for sizes of churches. And so a rule of thumb for a church with 500 in attendance We've got 250 attendants. So double our size, a generous-sized church would have four acres, 30 to 40,000 square feet, and 250 parking spaces. That's what we would be building if we were looking at building something new. So many of you uh, stood up as having participated in the Fifth and Marble congregation. Many of you have been here for a, a big chunk of the 50 years here at Montgomery. Um, and one of those uh, people is Mike Jones, who's been around for about 40 of those 50 years. And uh, Mike and I have started meeting on a monthly basis just uh, to, to encourage one another and challenge one another. And, and over the course of the last couple years, our conversations have, have been talking more and more about uh, what it looks like to have a building and grounds that serves our purposes and serves our mission as a church. What, what, what would that look like? Uh, what are some options? And, and we've been having conversation about that. We've been meeting with the elders and talking about what does a building look like for a church for the next 50 years. And so Mike is going to come share with us a little bit. Where's the MC mic? Um, Mike's going to share with us a little bit about some of the conversations that we've been having. Thank you. Thank you. Um, by the way, Matt said that 50 years ago, this computer problem wouldn't have existed. It, it, um, there would have been a, an overhead projector with transparency shining. It wouldn't have, wouldn't have been a problem. Um, but you'd have to look at the orange carpet. Well, so. Some of us like that orange carpet. About three years ago, I um, just started to look objectively at this uh, property we have here and noticed that it was being underutilized. Um, should I hold this closer? Yeah, okay. I don't. And so began to discuss what it would it look like if we did something different. 
1971, uh, while I was in college, and just six years after the San Pedro con congregation moved here, had a job at Lloyd McKee Motors along with Brother Terry Walker. Is he is Terry here? Is he in Phoenix? Probably with his with his daughters, and with Trisha Smith's brother Joe Liebeck. Um, interesting the connection we had all those years ago. There was a salesman by the name of Leo Tafoya um, at Lloyd McKee. Leo was an interesting character. Um, most of the time, he had a little stub of a cigar in his mouth, that, but he never lit it. So he would be talking to potential customers with a little stub of a cigar. Apparently, it worked well. Um, not really sure why. Um, as I remember, um, every day Leo would take off north on Wyoming Boulevard to go feed his horses that were in a barbed wire corral in the middle of nowhere north of town. When asked about why he was doing this, he said the land was his retirement and the horses reduced his tax burden on the, on the real estate he had there. We all kind of chuckled, especially those of us who were a little bit younger. Um, but Leo had a mission and he had vision. His mission was to provide for his retirement, and his vision was the ability to look into the future and see how Albuquerque he was going to grow. Leo owned six acres of land that became the northeast corner of Paseo del Norte in Wyoming. Um, you can just imagine its value once he sold it. So he had vision. Bill Williams and Chalky Huff had the same vision in 1964. Subsequently, the leadership here used great judgment in acquiring the surrounding lots that when combined is with the original uh, property purchase comprises um, over 10 acres of prime real estate. Um, for those of you who are new, some of you probably didn't even know we owned all this property. Um, we're going to talk about ownership versus stewardship here. Unlike Leo Tafoya, who was the owner of the six acres, this property and its improvements belong to God. And we are stewards tasked with the oversight of this now very valuable possession. The question is, what will we do with it? Leo's mission was the eventual sale and a comfortable uh, retirement. Our mission is to serve within God's kingdom to his glory as we head into the next 50 years. Very exciting to think about. This is where mission, vision, and stu stewardship intersect. Our mission is the same as it was when we moved to this place the same as it was um, when the church was formed. And although perhaps differently stated, uh, the mission rem is and will remain the same. Vision, on the other hand, is an ongoing process. Vision is the way we determine how to fulfill the mission in real time. Vision um, and mission are often confused, and that's the way I've been able to reconcile it in, in, in my mind. Stewardship is about wisely seeking the highest and best use of the possessions entrusted to us both personally and as a congregation. This facility has served us and others very well for 50 years. It has been used more and more over the last several years and um, it is showing its age. Um, many places, Harvey said we couldn't and we have worn out part of this building. Is it good stewardship to continue to patch and repair this facility, or might we have the opportunity to do something different? Perhaps it will be determined that leaving things 
uh, the way they are is the best option. However, for some years now, but especially over the last year, some of us have been working with Jason and have been exploring the possibility of to use the property and the buildings and imagining what other possibilities might exist. After meeting with the shepherds and presenting the results of the initial exploration, the decision was made to continue the process. Once the decision to continue the process was made by the shepherds, it was important to reveal the discussions of exploration be made to the congregation. In digging through those original church bulletins, it was interesting uh, that, that Jason discovered that 50 years ago today was, was the first meeting. Now you could add in uh, leap year and some other things and challenge that, but uh, you know it works for our it works for our purposes. Um, this is, however, the perfect opportunity. Most churches, when considering upgrading their facilities, only have the option of selling, uprooting, and moving somewhere else. Our situation is different in that we have the opportunity to consider upgrading and improving the facility without moving. The discussion um, and exploration are ongoing and we're in very, very encouraged by the initial information that we have gathered. But let's be perfectly clear that nothing has been decided and that regular updates will be provided as we move ahead in the exploration. Unknown discoveries may point us in a different direction or stop the process entirely. We don't know, but time will tell. So we're asking for you to please pl pray fervently for the process and the continued exploration. And may all of our efforts be to the glory of God our Father and the advancement of the kingdom in, his, in this place. Thank you very much. So in the 50s, the Fifth and Marble Church dreamed big dreams. And in the 60s, the San Pedro Church dreamed big dreams. And throughout the 50 years, the Montgomery Church has dreamed big dreams. And so what does the next 50 years look like? What could it look like? And, and so we are not in a, a time of deciding. We're in a time of exploring, looking to say, where is the intersection between the resources that we have and stewardship of our resources and what the potential for the future might be? And there's lots of different options out there. And so we're looking at exploring those options. And so now Montgomery Church is... It, it is time to dream big dreams. It's time to dream about what the church could look like for the next 50 years. What does it look like for our building? What does it look like for our property? But more importantly, as we've talked about, what does it look like for the people who gather here? What is our mission? What, what, what is it that God is calling us to? How can we utilize our time and our talent and our treasure in a way that produces transformed lives in this neighborhood, in this community, in this city? What would it look like for this place to be a center of community activity where people encounter Jesus and respond to his call to follow? What would it look like to be, for this place to be a hub of missionary work throughout the city and throughout the world? What would it look like for this to be a place where people come in and gather to experience Jesus but are also sent to make disciples in their own context? The building is a tool. It, it is... It is a place for making and inspiring and for equipping and for sending disciples. And so it's a place where outsiders are invited to experience God. And it's a place where insiders are challenged to go out on mission.
And that begins with you. It begins with you asking, God, what do you want to do through me? What do you want to do through me? What are you saying to me? What are you calling me to? And what are you going to do about it? And so we have an exciting opportunity here where we are, are able to dream and able to, to participate in what God is doing in this place and in this city and in this world. And so how will you become a part of that? What will you do? What will you allow God to do through you? Let's be standing together. We spend time every Sunday asking these questions, God, what are you saying to me? And then what are you going to do about it? And so we continue to pray that because we are, we are at a season in our church's history where, where the 50 years are ahead of us. And there's such great potential and such great, uh, great things that God is already doing and has been doing for, for since, since the, the turn of the century. In 1914, when the, the, that, that couple first moved here and started having Bible studies, we're a part of a great history. And we all participate in that history and we engage in that history. We're a part of the story, a part of the mission of God. And so we're going to spend some time praying now. We're going to spend some time. This is an opportunity for you to uh, pray with one of the shepherds up front. It's an opportunity for you to pray with one another. You can gather up your small group. You can go pray for some, someone. Uh, some of you have, um, you have health concerns. You have job concerns. You have things that are completely distracting you right now. And we need to spend time praying for those things. Because we're, we're a group, we're a family that come together to encourage one another and to lift one another up. And so let's do that now in this time of prayer. What is God saying to you? Have the courage to ask that question. And then what are you going to do about it? Let's pray together. God, we thank you for this time this morning. I pray that you will uh, continue to speak to us now. God, as we enter into this prayer time, as we, we spend some time silently with you and, and collectively with each other, God, I pray that you will, will continue to challenge us and work at our hearts. God, how do you want to use us? What do you want for us? What does it look like to be your followers in this time and place, in this context? In Jesus' name we pray, amen.